Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mourners show. Transfers, it is the transfer window. Madness, I'm telling you, Sam Muller, it is madness. And it's only July yeah. and the lads aren't even back from <laughs> the holidays yet and it's still madness. So we thought we'd get somebody on who could actually tell us a little bit more in terms of detail. Now, he's not a Newcastle journal, he's a Southampton journal. But why has Mark White came on to the Agreement of Mulner show, Mr Mulner? Well, we seem to be linked with a few Southampton players of late and... I've uh, I've been on a podcast with him before, not this one, another one, and I thought he'd be good to get on. So why the F not? As you say, it's crazy times in this transfer window, merry-go-round, and he's he's good value as Mark. He's he's good guy. So um, and they've got a lot of talent Southampton, and there's there's even players that we haven't been linked with yet. There's there's some there that could be worth uh, smashing grabbing. We always hear when it comes to relegation teams, obviously, Madison's got a Tottenham and I'm sure there'll be other Leicester players that will get moves away. And Telemans has gone. Yeah, I would say Leeds is probably the, the weakest in terms of players, mm. in terms of there's a gem, there's someone that you have to buy. But Southampton do have some quality players. It's just, it just didn't work for them last season for so many different reasons, which Mark goes into when quite detailed uh, about 15 minutes into the podcast. But Lavia, James Ward-Prowse, Kyle Walker-Peters and Tino Livramento. They're the main four players that we've discussed with Mark and he certainly gives us an evaluation in terms of how likely these deals will happen and what their main attributes are, which is really, really nice and refreshing because he watches that happen on a regular basis and he's big. he's a big fan of one particular player, isn't he? Yes, as am I. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Like you say, I, I agree with you about Leeds. Probably Nanto and people say about Tyler Adams, but he does nothing for me. There's not a lot to to really poach from Leeds, is there? Um, not a lot left at Leicester now, really, with Tielemans and Madison going. Um, Tielemans would have been okay. But always questions about his attitude, which isn't befitting of our squad these days, is it? So, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. So there's going to be plenty of twists and turns just around the corner. But, um, Johnny, guess what? What, Sam? We've got an email. Da, 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 da. It's email time. That was very enthusiastic. Um, okay, this email is from... It's from George in Banbury. That's kind of... And it's just south of Birmingham, Johnny, because you look perplexed. You've, have you I've never heard, heard of Banbury? Banbury. I've heard of it. I thought it was like near Oxford. Yeah, I said south of Birmingham. There's loads of places south of Birmingham. You're south of Birmingham. No, I'm not. I'm north of Birmingham. That's what I meant. Um... <laughs> anyway. Anyway, what's the question? Hi, Sam and Johnny. Uh, love love your podcast. Thank you very much. Um, I am concerned. George is concerned. Um, why does it seem to take Newcastle so long to get transfers done and dusted? 
as we've just uh, George mentions two players that we've um, just been on about. Tielemans has, has already gone to Aston Villa with Madison going to Spurs now. What are we doing wrong, George? Take five, take a deep breath, have a Horlicks or some hot milk, a hot milk equivalent. Relax, it's fine, it's fine, things are fine. Have a bubble bath, it's okay. Don't, there's no need to panic, no need to panic anymore. If this was the day, the, the, the days of Ashley and Charnley still, then yes, I think you have a point. Those days are not here anymore. And that's good. That's a good thing. Um, Tonali will get done, won't it, Johnny? It'll be done. It'll be done at some point this week. It's just, it just complicates things when players are at international tournaments. And I think the only, um, I think the Italian transfer window only opened on the first of July. Anyway, it's not like ours. So I, I, it, it's fine. Don't, don't worry, Johnny. Thoughts? Um, I echo what you say, Sam, in regards to having a bubble bath. Yeah, it made me laugh actually when you said it's fine, it's fine, I'm fine, I'm really fine. It sounds like when you're like with your missus and you say, Oh, is everything okay? I'm fine, I'm fine. No, 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 but no, but in this case, it is genuinely fine. Yeah, uh, in, all, in all seriousness, I think look, I, I, I can't disclose too much information, but I, I do kind of know what day this scenario deal is going to happen. Um, so, well, you can't drop that bombshell and leave it like lying well, there. Well, we will see. We will see. Is this very much a conversation for off air? It's a it's a conversation for for any anybody. But does the day does the day begin with a W? It ends in a Y. That's not what I said. I said, does it start with a W? Because that's the day I've heard. I don't know. You no, just said you I, did. I, I, look, all I can say is that I know it ends in a Y. Ends in a Y, and it it might it might be this week at some point. God, we're, just we're, we're, we're looking for the last. I think we're looking for the last dot, and we're looking for the last T. I think basically. We'll see, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, but going back to George's question, because of Dan Ashworth and because of Eddie Howe and because of Steve Nixon and how the operations of this football club runs, I think for me. It's fine. I am so relaxed because mm. I think there were probably three or four players that Newcastle will sign. And I don't even think Sam and I in particular, or any Newcastle fan in particular, I should add, probably know that we're actually linked with. Because you look at Tonali, for example, Tonali kind of came out of nowhere. I know a lot that obviously Sam, you were... You were Did it? Master. Did it? Did it come out of nowhere? I would say so. I think that you're a massive admirer, and you have, and you've mentioned for it for a while. So I, I, I won't go against that. Same with these from last season. I'm not going to go against that. But let's be honest. I don't think it was the sign that we thought that would be the first sign through the door. At Newcastle. No, not at all. Not so, at all. But I'm so, I, so, so I'm, so I'm kind of, I'm very relaxed. Look, Shabosley, if I say pronounce it, got Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the point I was about to make. Actually, George could easily like guess that he sent that before the deal was confirmed. But like, Zabozlo has now gone to Liverpool. But what we know about how we operate now is that we have a set figure in mind, which we won't go over and we won't be taken advantage of, like with Botman. I think I I think Alexander Rizak was probably the. I think we could do the deal with Alexander Rizak because we have money to spend. We could actually spend I don't think that we paid over the odds for him. No, I don't think we did. I don't think we did. But I think I think 
some people would think that when we and then when we did say that, I think Ian Balaga actually said on record that Alexander Rizak's no he's probably worth around about the forty million pound mark at most. Oh, what does, what does but, he know? Well, he knows a little bit. I think the while. only player you could say we've maybe overpaid for is Anthony Gordon. But even then, we got him for, what, 15, 20 million pounds less than what he was touted to be going for in the previous window. So I, I understand that, but I would say Anthony Gordon's probably worth half what we've paid for him in my, in, in, right now as we, as we talk about him. I don't think he's worth 40, 45 million. I think he's probably worth about 20, 25 as we talk right now. But he's, he's certainly got the, potential. he's got the potential to, to develop and... We'll, we'll see what happens. But look, if this was the 2nd of August and we four days before, uh, sorry, 10 days before Aston Villa, for example, and let's just say Tonali was the only deal that's been done, I would be slightly apprehensive going into that game. But I do think that Newcastle probably have a lot of different options. It's just evaluating what's the best option for this Newcastle United team. Newcastle have money to spend, but they don't have loads and loads of spend, but they do have money to spend and if the deal's right, obviously Mark talks about a couple of players from Southampton that Newcastle have been heavily linked with Livermore was the, the one player that a lot of different journals have been saying that this is one that out of all the rumours and speculation it has a little bit of legs, but Mark goes into more detail in regards to this particular deal, but look, it's still so early, it's so early, it's only just turned July, we've got another month of uh, pre-season football to enjoy, yay! And then, it, and then the real stuff starts on the twelfth of August. And let's just make sure by the time the twelfth of August comes on, we've done the vast so, majority. Of, we've done the vast majority of our work. And if that's, and if we have done the vast majority, then if something happens in the last two or three weeks and something's right for the football club, I'm sure they'll look into it. I'm sure they would probably do it. But I'm not so, concerned at the moment in time. So George, have a have a Horlicks and wind your neck in. But thank you so much for the email. Well, thank you for emailing in. Uh, if you do want to email in, it's info at newcastlefanstv.com. You know I'm only playing, George. You know I love you, really. But, you know, chill. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, fine. the show. Yes. It was more than fine, this show. It was actually really, really fascinating. It was great to get Mark's insights in all things transfer targets. Southampton. We might try it with a a different type of journalist before the transfer window ends if there's a couple of players that Newcastle are linked with in terms of I think Chelsea could be a potential option with likes of Conor Gallagher. Not like Dick AC Milan journalist that you see on Twitter. Yeah. Not we'll we're not getting him on. No, we're not. We might, but we probably won't. No, we're, we're not. not. He's an absolute... Yeah, no, 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 no. But yeah, I think it's about time no. to get this podcast up and running. We've talked all things transfers. Let's get the main man to tell us everything about the Southampton-wise and Newcastle transfer speculation. So this is the Greenwood and Muller Show, and it is with Mark White. The Greenwood and Muller Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Muller Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. The transfer window has started and everybody's freaking out. So we thought, well, Sam thought, because Sam has had the pleasure of speaking to this gentleman, Mark Wyatt, who is the Southampton correspondent for Hampshire News, to tell us all, all in regards to transfers, in particular for Southampton, because at Hampshire Live, it must be so, so busy, Mark, with everything going on, because Southampton, unfortunately, have been relegated and Newcastle seem to be 
getting mentioned with every single player that Southampton are putting up for sale. So you're the man to tell us everything about what's going on with Southampton and Newcastle United potentially doing any deals whatsoever. First things first, have you had a good summer break before all this madness begins properly? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, uh, John. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, in terms of a break, I had two weeks, uh, and in that time, Southampton announced a new manager. So, um, so yeah, that was uh, that was quite a fun little two weeks I had off, uh, where, where yeah, so much was happening. But uh, yeah, you're right. There's, there is so much going on at Southampton at the moment. Uh, it's it's not just the the playing staff that are going to be changing, but obviously, like I said, there the the manager, all the coaches, and uh, you know, right up to the director of football. Uh, it's been a complete change uh, when the new club owners came in. It's it's a, a little bit chalk and cheese, to be honest, with, with Newcastle because, you know, they, they changed owners around the same time and Southampton's trajectory has gone one way and Newcastle's, as you guys are very well aware, has gone the complete other. So, um, yeah, very busy for me at the moment and, and you know, got a long, long way to go until September 1st, which is my favourite day of the year, uh, when it all slams shut and I, and I can be done with transfers for another little while longer. I mean, when when we first spoke, Mark, like we were on the Chronicles podcast, and we were talking about the the possible end of Ralph Hasenhutl. A lot has happened since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 like you say about trajectories of different teams. We've had Carabao Cup semi-finals where you you just gracefully dumped Manchester City out and made made our our Wembley weekend a reality. Um, I imagine. It's kind of reminiscent from the bad old days of when we had Mike Ashley and managers comings and goings. When we had all the madness going up on up in Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fans of Southampton were really quick to point out how many similarities there were this season between this one in two thousand and five, which is when Saints went down before from the Premier League. Three managers in that year as well, and uh, that kind of off the pitch turbulence. You know, it, you know, you guys have seen it. You guys have gone up and down yourselves in the Championship. Um, it, it never really works, does it? And, and you, you, you pin your hopes on the next guy that comes through the door and, you know, however affable they are. And we were lucky at Southampton that, you know, it, it might have turned a little bit toxic at times. But, you know, I think all three managers that, 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 that were in charge of the club over the, the year did try their best. Um, but, you know, some things just aren't meant to be. And I think, you know, this reset that Southampton are going to have, if they get this summer right, then they've got every chance of coming back up and it being a really positive thing. But, uh, obviously, in the immediate moment, it, it tastes a little bit bitter, doesn't it? You know, Sam and I have certainly been there when it comes to the Newcastle side of things. And I think we'd all agree that Southampton are a Premier League club and all, but named in terms of this se- uh, next the season coming, I should say. But, of course, I think everybody will keep an eye to see how Southampton get along, especially with the former Newcastle United striker, Adam Armstrong, because obviously he's a man that... Uh, I think it didn't didn't hide his emotions, did he, Sam? Going into that Carabao Cup final, uh, Carabao Cup semi final, and the first leg where he, you know he gave it the good old celebration. Mark would have been there, of course, covering it. But Sam, I have to ask you: Do you think were you a bit unhappy to see that from a former Newcastle player? Before I get Mark's view on it, um, well, he well he handballed it, didn't he? So unlucky. So <laughs> it is what it is, isn't it? He handballed it. He gave it the big one, and then he, he had egg on his face. But no, no, it doesn't bother me. Look at what Dan Byrne against the team, the other team that Mark covers, Brighton. Dan Byrne didn't half give it the big one when he scored that header um, in such a crucial, crucial uh, game to, to seal our top four position. But, uh, no, it doesn't bother me. It, it doesn't bother me when we're away. It bothers me when they come to St. James's and do it. 
I think with Adam Armstrong as well, he, he just doesn't score any goals. So I think when he, <laughs> well, he, he's not looking at who he's just put the ball against. He's just happy to get one in the back of the net. Um, he probably will next season, to be fair. Well, yeah, this is this is this is the hope for Samson. I think he needs to as well. But you know, I'm sure we'll go on to it. All the transfers that, that Samson could do, and and you know, it's it's a knock-on effect for a lot of other players. It's seeing who sticks around and and who doesn't. And Adam Armstrong's one of those that you know he could lead the line come August fourth against Sheffield Wednesday, or he could be on the bench again. So um, yeah, we've got a long summer of waiting. I think. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of talent that could be heading out the door, which is obviously where our focus is now, um, because we've been linked with a few players already. Um, I think the best where place to start really is is with uh, Tino Livramento. Um, I really like him. I, I think he's a cracking player, um, a, a player of real great potential. Um, what can you tell us about him more in depth? And have you heard the the rumblings around a, a potential bid from Newcastle? Yeah, so um, I mean, first off, looking at the Newcastle approach, it's it's a lot of it. I think comes from Dean Ashworth, doesn't it? And, and he really fancied him at Brighton, um, which which I think some of that is is where it comes from. I'm sure Newcastle have done their due diligence before Dean came into the club as well. And, and he's a player certainly that when he left Chelsea a few years ago. There were so many clubs that, that were looking at him and, and, and he chose Southampton to be the, the one to further his development. I mean, the, the obvious thing with Tino is that, that horrible ACL injury that he went through and, and came back from, which is almost something that you can't really not mention at the moment when you talk about it. Um, and it plays into into so much. But, you know, he's being linked with, with a lot of clubs and, and for good reason. And, and that is because he is really a special player. I mean, the very fact that when he first came in, under Ralph, I forgot which game it was now. I think Man United was his second game and he was man of the match. But he came straight in and basically took Carl Walker-Peters out of the team. He pushed Carl Walker-Peters to, to the other side, um, onto left-back. And, and, you know, at 18, 19 years old, he was really nailed down that position. So I think anyone that does that in the Premier League, you know, is going to kind of turn heads. And, and like I said, that ACL kind of stalled him a little bit. But, but what you see with him is a player who is, you know, so confident, and, and, and so brave in what you see in those young players. And, you know, fingers crossed for, for him, he just gets the, the, the best out of it and gets to play as much as possible next season, wherever it is, whether it is in the Championship with Southampton or in the Premier League with Newcastle or anywhere else, because that's the one thing he needs more than anything right now is that kind of game time. Because, yeah, the, the ceiling is, is really high with him. Of course, the potential's there with Livermento. I think you quite rightly mentioned the ACL injury with Livermento. And... There's no doubt in the ability of the player. There's no doubt. You see, obviously, we, 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 we've been fortunate to see Livermento in the Premier League for the last couple of years. And obviously, we took the injury. The, the injury is the injury. Do you think it's actually beneficial for him, though, personally? Let's take the Newcastle hat off, mate, for, for Sam and I for a second. For him to actually maybe play championship games just to build up his fitness. And maybe is this move a bit too early, but is it just one move? That if you're Tino Livermento and his agent, a Champions League club, you know, with huge aspirations, that you just can't see, you can't turn it down. But it, it must be a really diff- a difficult conflict, like a dilemma, I suppose, for him. Yeah, I think it is. I was talking to someone recently, and we kind of compared it to um, to Ryan Sessegnon when he went from Fulham to Tottenham, and and that was, you know, he was on, he could have stayed and, and done another season in the Championship, I think it was, but he ends up going to Spurs and you know, similar position and, you know, the England Youth International and stuff. So that's why it links. But but he was one who kind of went and, and maybe there were players blocking his path. I know you guys, obviously, Ashby Hammond is the one who you'd look at at the moment in that Newcastle side and say, well, is he just ahead of 
Livermento, if he did come in, obviously you got Trippier and the others in there as well. So I personally think a, a year in the championship, you know, if it's a if it's a promotion season, that'd be fantastic. Um, but I think if he stayed at Southampton, I think his development is probably best served there. He's an incredible physical player, so even though he's quite young, he I don't know how much you would have seen of him, but he's you know he, he battles in every game. He's you know he's one that really goes for the fight. So I think that'd be probably quite exciting in the championship for him to see that and hope he develops. Um, and you know, if if he went to Newcastle hypothetically, would he be straight into the team? Would he even be in the matchday squad? Would they consider loaning him back out anyway? So I don't know. There's a lot of questions to raise with it, but personally, and again, it's hard to set the Southampton hat off when you do this. But he'd be fantastic in the championship and, and a brilliant asset to have. But I, th- I think him personally would develop really well there as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, putting put my Newcastle hat firmly back on. Um, obviously, we've got quantity over quality in terms of strength and depth in in the wing back positions. Trippier, obviously, team of the season, best right back in the Premier League. That you know, that's not me being biased. That was statistically true. He was in the team of the season. Dan Byrne did a great job at left back, and then obviously, but behind them, it's the likes as you said, Harrison Ashby who's probably going to go out on loan. Uh, Mankio is free to leave. Emil Kraft only signed a new deal last summer. Can Livramento, does he have the scope to play left back as well? And because obviously there, there's, we've again, we've been linked with Kyle Walker-Peters as, as well as that. But do they have that kind of dual purpose role, the pair of them? They do, but it, it's so much more evident with Kyle. And I'd, I'd say if you are comparing them based on that versatility, Kyle is probably the supreme player when it comes to being able to go on both sides. Not that Tino couldn't kind of develop that more, but he is so much more naturally gifted on that right side. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I haven't heard about any potential fee for Carl Walker-Peters. I'm not sure exactly how much Southampton would look for him in this window. But I can't imagine, you know, the, the prices that we've seen so far quoted for, for Tino, I'd probably say the fee for, for Carl wouldn't be too dissimilar. And Although they're, you know, the, the kind of profiles of the player and the ages are a little bit different. I think if you're looking at someone that has that versatility, I think Carl is the really obvious choice there. I get it, Tino is really exciting and, you know, that unknown about him, you know, he could develop into an incredible England first teamer. But I don't know, for me, I always thought Carl would be the one who was the first one out the door, one of the early ones because of that versatility he's got. And I think that's so rare in the Premier League as well. Sorry to cut you off, Johnny. That is so rare to find a player that is so comfortable on both sides and, and doesn't really shirk a challenge on either side too. Yeah, it is. It is very, very rare. I just have to. I, I just want to touch back on Livermore in terms of the actual fee because there has been a few conflicting reports of actually what Newcastle have offered or potentially have offered and what Southampton actually want. Could you give us just a brief summary on that Livermore side of things in terms of what actually do Southampton want? Because for a player that's had an ACL injury, and I know they're in the in the, in the Championship, and there's probably more players that maybe command a higher fee in terms of award prizes, which we'll mention later on. But what is actually the the actual uh, negotiations at this moment in time? Well, it, it, a lot of it is kind of explained. There was actually a good piece in The Athletic that uh, Jacob Tansworth did on this, actually. Um, uh, it, it, it's a lot of it is about the profit in, in that Samson will want from him. And I don't know if you'll have seen this kind of scale, sliding scale that you have of, of how much Samson can profit. When you get to a certain amount, Chelsea will kind of kick in with their deal. So that is obviously at the forefront of negotiations. But I think at the moment, anyway, as far as I've been made aware, is that there is just kind of an impasse at the moment. Newcastle don't want to go over a certain price. Southampton don't want to go 
you know, they're, they're starting to want to get up to a certain price. And I just don't think at the moment the deal is kind of, you know, it could have advanced in the last 24, 48 hours. But I think we saw this morning from, it might have been the Telegraph, uh, you'd have to double check if I'm wrong on there, that the latest number it was at was about 21 million. Um, and I don't think that's near enough for, for Southampton to want to get to um, in order for them to make that profit. So, you know, if Newcastle walked away from it, it wouldn't massively surprise me. But considering it's not maybe a priority position, I know there's been talk about the budget at Newcastle and things like that. But I don't think Southampton are in a particularly worrying position in Tio's regard. He's got three years left on his contract at St Mary's so that there isn't no really rush to sell him. And I know that, you know, a few people think that the, that the player, Tino himself, wants to go there. And I can see why it's a very attractive you know, proposition for a young player. Um, but until, you know, money talks, doesn't it, at the end of the day? And I don't think Southampton will be. And this isn't just a, a Newcastle bias as well. I, I don't think it's because they know that the money is there. I think Southampton will be fairly stubborn with a lot of their players this summer because they know the position they're in. James Will Prowse, again, Carl Walker-Peters, they don't need to leave if Southampton don't find a valuation that, that matches them. So I think that's probably the sticking point right at this moment between the two clubs. That, that's interesting because from a personal point of view, Livramento would would be ideal. And Kyle Walker-Peters just does absolutely nothing for me. But then then you who watch them every week say Walker-Peters is the clear option for, for versatility, which is probably I think, what I think we're that's after. Right now. Yeah, I think that's right now as well. I mean, if Tino hadn't have had that ACL and he'd have had the year, he could be on the first of the England squad for all we know. But if I was looking at it right now, yeah, I think I would go with Kyle. Yeah, it's interesting because he just does nothing for me whatsoever. But then again. It's interesting though. So what is the exact situation? Is it is it Does the fee have to uh, get to a certain point before Chelsea get a percentage um, for, for Livramento in a sell-on or is it just a straight sell-on uh, percentage that they have? I, see, I think it's the latter. That's a check me on it. But I know it's the higher the, the, the higher the total price gets to, the larger slice that uh, Southampton will receive. So that's why they want, you know, more upwards of thirty million because then they'll get more than they pay. They paid was it bang on four million for it two years ago. Um, but this is, you know, it's why transfers get confusing and probably why UEFA of or whoever it was recently stuck in that new amortisation deal as well because you have these. Players move so much now that you're thinking, oh, hold on, I, we put in a two-year clause for him last time and now he's signed a new contract, now he's going here. So it's uh, it's a lot to deal with at the moment. And again, maybe one of the reasons why negotiations take so long with these kind of players because they've got so many little parts in their contract that need to be changed. It's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see because, like I say, the madness has kind of only just begun, <laughs> really, because obviously it's now, it's the, obviously we're, talk, we're talking on the 2nd of July and it's, you feel like already a lot of deals have been done, but we're kind of only like a drop in the ocean in terms of what actually will be done in the next two months. And you've mentioned Kyle Walker Peters. Uh, Sam's never been a fan, and you know he's he's been quite open about that. I, I I do think there is some talent in the player. I really do. My theory is, and my argument would be, is he better than what Newcastle have got at this moment in time, and does he improve Newcastle United right now? And that's where I think there's a question mark there, and. My other, my other question to you, Mark, in regards to Kyle Walker-Peters, I'm kind of leaving Livermento out because of the injury and, and his potential more than anything. But why did Southampton over, overall get relegated? Because um, most teams, take most teams, rightly or wrongly, 
or who aren't in a relegation that will look and go, well, the defence must be awful, they don't score a lot of goals. I know that must make sense. So if Kyle Walker-Peters is a, a mainstay of that defence, why should a top four team, essentially, as Newcastle right now, be looking at him? Yeah, it's no, a good question as well. I mean, you look at you know why have Spurs spent the money on Madison as well because you know he's a luxury player and 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 gets cherry picked out of that team. But I, I, I you know, I've asked that a million times to myself. Why does Southampton go down this year? Um, I mean, if if you want like an overall, you know, look at it. I think that from from the top to bottom, things just weren't working. Things have gotten kind of stale under. Under Ralph Hasenhutl, which me and Sam spoke about last time as well, the, the kind of atmosphere that was was going around was was pretty negative. I think the transfer dealings were poor. They lost a lot of experience. And I know you look back at it and you look at the players that left, and you know your Nathan Redmonds, Fraser Forsters, and stuff—not star players, but players that had a lot of experience in that dressing room that that left. The big one being Oriol Romeo as well. When he went, there was there was kind of even more. He was allowed to leave because of the club were happy for him to go with a year left of his contract and didn't want to stand in his way. But you know that turned out to be pretty fatal in the end as well. You know, three managers, uh, a complete kind of sometimes a, a complete failure to turn up when when things when their backs were against the wall. I, I haven't actually looked at the record, but it was incredible how many times Southampton would play dreadfully against teams around them. And then somehow, you know, you guys probably saw it. I was living it at the time, but you see it when every now and again they'd get a, a three-three draw with Arsenal, three-three with Arsenal. Final day, four-four with Liverpool. You know, they got a draw at Old Trafford. They beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. They beat City in the Carabao Cup. These are results that you think that's a team that's finishing mid-table in the Premier League. But every time when push came to shove, the players just completely down tools. Just to bring it back there with, with Carl Walker Peters, I suppose. But you know, he wasn't a player that. You can't massively impact the game all you like from from the position that he plays in as well, and so it is difficult for him. But I, I know what you mean. Maybe you would, maybe you look at that defense and go, oh, I don't want to stick anywhere near anyone that kind of featured in that back four or back five that it was at times. Um, but I think with Carl, you look at him as as someone who is you know, incredible, adaptable to the situation he's in. And this year, he again in a relegation season, you don't really talk about leaders, but. He was one of the younger players that once all the leaders were out of that dressing room, I feel like he tried to at least step up a little bit. So I think away from the pitch as well, there are characteristics in him that I think would suit a club uh, the size of Newcastle. Hmm. I think the answer to why they got relegated is that's football. I mean, yeah, that's it, it, in my answer as well. <laughs> yeah, that that that's football. I mean, it sounds like it sounds pretty similar to to the season we got relegated under Steve McLaren. Like the the team we had, like Wijnaldum, Sissoko, Mitrovic. How can that team go down? But uh, they did pretty comfortably. Um, so yeah, that's football, I think. But they'll be back. They'll come again. Like you say, if if they're not in any particular rush to sell and. Is the attitude amongst the squad since Hassan Hootl and, and Nathan Jones, who was um, he's he's, a, he's an interesting chap? Um, I'd, let's have a brief word about Nathan Jones because <laughs> what what was that like? What, what what dealings did you have with him? What was he like to speak to? And and I, I gather the dressing room didn't think a lot of him. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, well, it, it was intense because. It was that that festive period where after the World Cup break, where you know, kind of games were happening every week, and I felt like I saw Nathan Jones more than my family. And you know, uh, during that period, because it was 
press conference and game, press conference and game, you know, kind of every three or four days. Um, so I, I had a front row seat for, for everything that happened. And, you know, things got away from Nathan Jones before he could control it. But he, you know, he, he loved to talk. And he loved to talk too much at times. And, you know, the, 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 the press officer and the media team had kind of warned him a few times about it. But, you know, once things got on him, he, he had to talk about it. You know, and the, the famous meltdown at Brentford, which is what he kind of lost him his job in the end, really, or put him on the very last step of the rung or the plank, rather. I think that that's the one that gets remembered. But the one for me is I mentioned that City game before, when, when, when you know it was probably the, the crowning moment for Nathan Jones that week. He he beat Everton at Goodison, he beat City uh, at St Mary's in the Cup, and they also won in the FA Cup at Sellers Park. So that should have been the crowning week for him and the, the, the turning point, if you will. But I remember after that Man City game, and he came into the press conference room after, and the, <laughs> he focused more on on what the Havant and Waterlooville manager had been saying about him in the, in the, in the build-up. So he, he spoke for ages about a non-league manager that had been digging him out on the radio, saying he wasn't good enough to be a Premier League manager. And you just thought, you've just beaten Pep Guardiola, man. You know, just, <laughs> like, if, if you're going to give yourself any credit, I know now now's the time, but I don't know why you're dra- <clears throat> dragging him into it. Um, but yeah, he, he was, he was, he was nuts, really. It was, it was a crazy moment. Um, and and the, the, you know by the end of it, everyone wanted him out. I think in in different circumstances, I think Nathan Jones would have been a fantastic manager at Southampton. Um, they've gone for Russell Martin now, who you know, although they're different stylistically, they've, they've got many of the same hallmarks that the club were looking for in a new manager in that EFL experience, the youngness and the, and the passion that you get out of the players. Um, and, and a lot of the players, you know, it wasn't as if they all hated him either. You know, he he did manage to get stuff out of them. Um, and there were a few that in, in the dressing room that, you know, I think a lot of people just felt it was just the wrong appointment, unfortunately. And, and hopefully the club learned their lesson from it. And, you know, it, a, a manager that had never even touched the Premier League before, being parachuted in midway through a season to try and fix a squad that, you know, I, I think even the best managers would struggle to, to work with that squad, to be honest. So it was doomed from the start. And then Ruben Sellers comes in at the end and, well, he's now in League One with Reading, so that tells you all about the calibre of manager that. <laughs> well, Nathan Jones was nice about us after the cup semi-final, so yeah. Yeah, he's a respect, he's a very respectful guy as well. Like born again Christian was was really friendly in all the press conferences. Didn't deserve a lot of the the abuse he got uh, at Southampton as well because he did get a lot of it. But I think a lot of that was frustration with the team in general. So you know these things just these things happen in football, like you said earlier. It certainly does. Nathan Jones stopped the quadruple. That's all you need to know. Yeah, yeah he stopped yeah. the quadruple. The rest is history. Uh, let's talk about a man who's probably Mr. Southampton, James Ward-Prowse. The former Mr. Southampton was probably Matt Letizia. And I still think a lot of Newcastle fans get a cold sweat when they hear that name in terms of the amount of good goals he scored against Newcastle in the 90s and um, James Ward-Prowse has actually he has scored against Newcastle as well. So, and He's continued that trait. Let's talk about James Ward-Prowse. Again, he is the, the, the golden boy, the star man of, New, of Southampton. Could he be the star man of Newcastle United? Because midfielders, are not, I know Sandro Tonali is a player that Newcastle haven't officially, haven't officially announced yet, but it's 99.99999% done. We're just waiting for a, a tweet or some sort of confirmation. But... I think I still think Newcastle would like to do a little bit more business in midfield. And James Ward-Prowse's name keeps on getting mentioned. I don't know whether it's the concrete interest, but 
it has always been reported that Newcastle do, do admire the player uh, from a distance. I think the two questions I have to ask about James Ward-Prowse is, number one, will he kick up a fuss to try and get a Premier League move? Has he got it in him to do that? Or do you think that maybe his is, is, is ties with Southampton are that strong that he won't do that? And secondly, what fee are we talking about? Because as you mentioned, Mark, quite rightly, money talks. Um, will he kick up a fuss? I'd, I'd like to think no, he wouldn't. Um, I think there has been a, a kind of gentleman's agreement there that, that Southampton will listen to offers for him. Um, and a, a source kind of told me towards the end of the season that it was 99, like you say with, uh, with uh, your signings as well, it was 99.9% that, that James would go this summer. Um, whether any of that's changed in the, in the last few weeks, I, I doubt it. Um, whether he'd be a star player at Newcastle, I don't think he would be. Um, personally, anyway, I, don't, I think there's there's other stars in that Newcastle team, and I think James Ward-Prowse divides opinion quite a lot um, in in what he offers teams. Some people say he's just a dead ball specialist, and that's all he is. Um, but you know, watching him in 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 the last however many year, years I have, it, he he is so much more than that, and I think he has a lot to to, to bring to teams. And it's no wonder that the, the kind of teams that have been talking about him, I think. The fact that Brighton and, and, and Brentford were, were talked about early on just shows that the, the respect that a lot of teams have for him, especially his tactical understanding of the game, what he allows others to do so brilliantly as well. So I don't think he's the kind of player that you need to to worry about on, on that sense. And I don't think he'd kick up a fuss either because I can't see Southampton you know, going crazy with their valuation, which leads me in, to the fact that they kind of want around 40 to 50 million for him, which, you know, is the, the kind of, club captain, the, the, the leader, the, the legend that he is. And it's a lot, a lot of money. And I don't think many clubs really value him at that at all, really. Um, I think West Ham, with the money that they'll get for Declan Rice, maybe that's an option there as well. But I think if they were, if they managed to get 40 to 50 million for him, I think it would be a real, you know, I think they'd have absolutely had someone if they, if they managed to pull that off, to be honest. Um, and, I, you know, there, there is no sentimentality when it comes to, Figures on a checkbook, you know what I mean. So it, it doesn't matter if um, if he does want to kind of move to the Premier League. I, I think Southampton. I don't think they'll dig their heels in, but it, again, they're not going to go ahead and accept anything that they don't see fitting their estimation either. Um, that forty to fifty million is what we've seen a couple of times now reported, and that was the same at the start, maybe about four or five weeks ago, and it's kind of the same now as well. So whether things change in the next few weeks, I don't know, but. There's still yet to be, as far as I'm aware, anything concrete has come in for him. You know, he was, he was back on the first day of preseason and wiped the floor with everyone on the bleep test. So that just goes to show you what what kind of guy he is, really. Yeah, I I I, I like Ward Prowse. I I couldn't agree more. Um, what you say, Mark, he is so much more than a, a dead ball specialist. Um, we had Warren Barton on the show a few months back, and he he was he was the one that picked out. You know James Ward Prowse to 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 be someone that we should definitely be in for. As much of a fan of him as as I am, I think he'd probably struggle to get into our first team next next season with the with the signing of Tonali to go in there with Bruno and Joe Linton, who's just now an utter beast compared to just a lummox isolated up front. The turnaround in that guy is out of this world, but I just can't see. Anyone paying forty to uh, forty to fifty million for him, I think thirty million sounds about right to me. But 
like you say, you mentioned West Ham. I, I would say that is such a typical West Ham signing, James Ward Prowse. Yeah, I, I can I can see why the links are there as well because I, I see what he offers Southampton in abundance, which is just that kind of that protection. And, and I was going to say that calmness, but you know, last season was anything but calm for Southampton. So <laughs> maybe that was just you know he does need those players around him, but. I think the um, yeah you're you're bang on there. I think I would I would kind of you know quiver a little bit if I was being quoted anything above forty for him. I think Southampton can get between thirty and forty. I can see that being a transfer fee they command for him. But no, you're right. I, I think maybe they would need to come down a little bit. But I said this at the top of when, you know when I first came on. So much of Southampton's business this summer is going to be reactionary. It's going to be seeing how much they get here, how much they get there. Um, and while no one is really at the table and putting money down, you know, there's not really much they can do, but kind of keep on keeping on, you know, it, they don't want to leave it too late, but they, they, they left it very late last year. They signed four players on deadline day in the summer and another two on deadline day in the winter as well. So, you know, they're more than happy to, to kind of see these things go on if they want to. I think the only thing I would say with James Ward Prowse, obviously the Euros is next year. He's been so close to getting into the squad in the World Cup, so close to getting into the squad for the European Championships and it's just fell short on a couple of occasions. That may be another, I think... There's places up for grabbing that in, uh, in that England midfield in the squad, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah there I is. I remember, I remember before Qatar, I think we all said in the most of us in the media kind of group, kind of said, if, if he doesn't get into this one, we don't, we can't see... Him going to that's always been his dream, right? It's, it's to be at a major tournament with England, and this Euros is surely the the last, last, last opportunity for him to to do that. I know the midfield isn't kind of strong, but it seems like Gareth Southgate likes Conor Gallagher in there, doesn't he? He doesn't really, you know. And I, I, I know I probably make the same the same face as you, Danny, but you know he seems to have his favourites, doesn't he? And if Trent kind of impresses in there, the the place is kind of run away yeah. from. From, from Prousey, unfortunately, even though he's a hard worker. And I would love to have him been on that free kick at the end of the France game as well, in, in, you know, uh, out in Qatar. But I think maybe that will play on his mind a little bit and he'll think, I need to go somewhere where I'm not just in the Premier League, but I'm playing every single week without without fail. Because if he's not, then there's absolutely no chance that he kind of goes to the Euros, is there? Yeah, no, it reminds me of the Andros Townsend situation when we got relegated again. I think there's a lot of similarities um, between Newcastle and Southampton's relegations. Um, so we're not signing James Ward-Prowse. Um, another one in that midfield um, is a player I know you think a lot of, because um, uh, I remember you mentioning him last time we spoke, Mr Lavia. Um, how good can this kid be? Yeah, he um, he he's. I'm so invested in, in where he ends up. There's no chance Southampton keep hold of him this summer. It's such is the kind of quality he's got. But he's one of those players that you know, even with the team that you, you support and, and you see him kind of gloss over your club. It's one season. Maybe you get two out of them, but you will hold on to that for years and years to come. And, and wherever they go, you go. Do you remember that one year he spent? Uh, you know that kind of thing. And 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 it, yeah, he he's a really joyful footballer. He's he's a lovely guy. Um, for pre-season last year, I was in Austria, and it was the his first ever kind of external interview I did with him. And I think he just turned nineteen or eighteen, whatever he was. And he's the nicest chap. And yeah, I, I, I wish the best for him because I think he's he's fantastic. And at that age, in midfield to to come in in the Premier League, and it's not 
you know, incredibly eye-catching. It's not, you know, seven and eight goals and assists from midfield and that kind of thing. But it's it's the tiny things he does that you realise, oh, he, he just did that against, you know, an incredible an incredible Man City team or he'll flip the ball over. Those kind of moments, you know, the ones that really stand out for you when you're sat in the stadium. Um, so, yeah, I think he can go really, really high and he's got incredible work ethic, great people around him, so it seems as well. Um, but again, he's someone that, again, just needs game time. So he needs to go somewhere where he's not only going to be appreciated, but he's actually going to be given the chance to kind of flourish. Because I think one of the most exciting things about Romeo Lavia is you don't really know what kind of player he is right now. He's kind of explosive. He can get away from players. He can do box to box. He's incredible defensively. But there's so many kind of little assets to his game to improve on that you kind of want to see him go somewhere where the manager is really going to work with him and build him into a, a player of you know incredible calibre. I think the two points I would make on uh, on Lavia is that I was so impressed at St. James's Park uh, towards the back end of the season. Sam was at the game as well. And if you can remember, Sam, in that 3-1 win for Newcastle, Southampton's goal basically comes from Lavia, challenging Bruno Gimmeres in the centre of the park and Southampton get the counter and obviously Stuart Armstrong scores to make it 1-0. The, the, the one thing... I think Lavier probably needs is a good coach to really get even more out of him. I think mean, Eddie Howe is probably the perfect man for that job in terms of actually getting the most out of a Romeo Lavia. You've seen it with so many players with Newcastle over the last 18 months. Like Joe Linton was mentioned by Sam quite rightly. I think that was certainly something that I think a lot of Newcastle fans would like because I, I, I don't know Sandro Tonali as much as Sam does in terms of what he will bring in. Sam has been a big, big fan of Tonali for a little while and with love at Newcastle, that, that seems to that's going to happen. But will what will Lavia bring if he was to come to Newcastle? What's his best attributes? Um, I think purely as as that person that, that breaks up playing stops attacks. I mean, we said it earlier about how the team that finishes bottom of the Premier League, you, you expect them to look at that goals against table and it, it kind of be a graveyard of of horrible seven nils and, and, and that kind of thing. And Southampton have had plenty of their nine nils in the past, that kind of stuff, but. He was one of the main reasons why Stampton didn't get embarrassed on a, on a regular basis. I think there was only one immediate moment that springs to mind where he was really at fault for anything. And it was on the final day of the season against Liverpool. And that was just a crazy game. He kind of passed it away in his own box and gave away a goal. Um, but I think where, where he does kind of flourish, if anything, is receiving his ball, receiving the ball with his kind of back to, to play, turning, being aware of what's going on around him. And, and yeah, just being that kind of monster that, that he is, you know, I think someone called him Dr. Octopus a couple of times throughout the season. He's got these legs that seem to just protrude out of nowhere and kind of hook the ball back away from you on, on counter-attacks. And the energy of him is fantastic. Maybe slightly injury-prone is a worry. I think that comes from being young in your first full season of the men's game. He kind of got a little bit leggy towards the kind of World Cup break and potentially cost him a place in, in, in the squad that went to Qatar there. I know he's kind of back in there and it looks like he could be progressing massively into the, the Belgian first team. But um, I think that that is one thing that I'd look at him and, and manage his workload. But, you know, like you guys said, the, the ceiling is, is, is really high for this kid. Yeah, th this is this is the one for me. This is the 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 jewel in the crown for for Southampton, and like like you say, Mark, it, it, it's going to be so difficult to keep hold of him. Um, obviously, the obvious questions, interesting costs. So Liverpool were 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 marked down as uh, interested, but they've signed uh, McAllister and now Zabozlai. So are they still sniffing around? We were like kind of vaguely linked with him pretty early on in June. 
So I don't know if there's anything concrete there. And, and of course, the feed, then I, I'm expecting around 40 to 50 million where he'd actually be worth it over Ward Pros. Yeah, no, he definitely would be worth it. Um, you know, having watched him, I'd put him even higher than that, to be honest. Um, next year, City get their um, their buyback potential coming to him. So there's no doubt that this summer is the one that they need to, if Southampton are going to get a big profit on him or, or even going to get, you know, the full the full whack, then this is, it has to be it. So I, I very much doubt that there is any chance he stays around. Um, I think Chelsea have had a, a really long pursuit of him. Pretty much it was in that kind of uh, first top only summer last year where, you know, all the player had to do was pass the ball once and they were linked with Stanford, moving to Stanford Bridge, weren't they? But but he was one, I think we were at, um, where were we? I think we were in Aston Villa away, I think it was, Stanford were. We were in the press room afterwards. It was right on deadline day. And we found out that Chelsea had bid for him. Um, what was it, like four weeks after the start, three weeks after the start of the season? Um, it was a verbal verbal offer and, and Southampton just binned it off straight away because, you know, he'd only been at the club himself for a month and a half. So Chelsea had been really interested for a while. Um, Joe Shields was the Southampton kind of head of recruitment who went to Chelsea um, and he's the one that's been pushing to get Lavia to Stamford Bridge. He really recognises the talent there. Um, so I, I think at the moment they probably look quite well poised if they were going to kind of come in for him. Um, I think, you know, there were talk about Arsenal as well, but I'm not too sure about that one at the moment, considering what's going on with Declan Rice and all the money they're spending there. So, you know, it, it's take your pick of the top clubs, really, isn't it? Um, which for most Southampton fans right now, I'm sure they'd rather not even think about it. They know he's going somewhere, but the fact he's going anywhere is bad enough, to be honest with you. Uh, but I've not heard anything about, about Newcastle in the, in the last few weeks. Right now, I'd say it probably looks like Chelsea and maybe Liverpool are kind of coming back in, but, you know, this is the transfer window, isn't it? With with Lavia, though, do, do you think that maybe Chelsea, I, I can't see as that being a good fit for a, a young player when you've got 20 other midfielders in there, all costing a billion pounds each, all on £500,000 a minute. It, it It's one of them where... If he had a sensible head on his shoulders, would Chelsea really be a viable option for Lavia? It, it seems scattergun as well at Chelsea, doesn't it? Where you don't really know with, with Pochettino. I mean, we know the calibre that he's got, mm. but we don't know how he's going to kind of you know, work at Stamford Bridge, how that squad is going to react to him. Uh, everyone thought that Frank Lampard was going to go in there and kind of iron over a few things. Well, actually, maybe they didn't after seeing him at Everton this year. But, you know, still, you can't really predict <laughs> what's going to happen there. So I suppose we'll see with 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 Lavia if he go if he does go to Chelsea. You're right; it'll be really interesting because his future will then be tied into to that club in, in terms of I can imagine it would be a massive contract as they keep signing players down to as well. So um, yeah, it's it's one that is really interesting. I just hope that wherever he goes, the manager, like you said with Eddie, potentially with Poch as well, could could maybe mould him and, and make sure that he fulfils that potential. It'll certainly be interesting, really, really interesting to see what happens in terms of Lavia and where he does end up. And if he does end up in a Newcastle shirt, I think oh, I think a lot of Newcastle fans will be certainly delighted with that. But Sam, I want you to finish things off because there's a player that hasn't been linked at all with Newcastle United, but you really want to ask Mark yeah. about a particular young forward that has caught your eye. Yes. Uh, I mean, look, Tonali wasn't... Uh... Um, linked with us when I first mentioned him three years ago. So, hey-ho, why not give it a shot? Carlos Alcaraz interests me. Um, well, go away. No? Leave him alone. 
Leave him alone. Really? That means he's, <laughs> that means I'm right, and he's quite good, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie uh, is uh, an, an absolute gem, and I'm, I'm surprised people haven't been sniffing around him even more. Um, so am I. You know, he, he he's come over from uh, you know Argentina. And, you know, not many players come over from South America to the Premier League and hit it straight away. Um, but this kid has got so much energy. He's so raw. He's, he's clearly not, you know, he's not one of these pristine kids that's come out of a, you know, Cat One Academy or anything like that. Um, he's got a lot to learn. Um, but he's got bundles of enthusiasm. I think technically he's got a real good eye for, for attacking football as well. He, he is a, a midfielder, but he's so much of a number 10 in that classic kind of, you know, kind of central area, doesn't really have to shift around to the left and the right, just likes playing the ball going through him. He's happy to kind of get it wherever. He's strong in the tackle as well. Um, yeah, hands off him, hands off him. Um, I, th- I think Brian were interested as well, uh, but fingers crossed Southampton keep him because I think a year in the championship, I think he's got the potential to really kind of tie, to tie it all together, basically. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um how much did you sign him for? Remind me, because I imagine his stock has risen a, a little bit, even though he's not, you know, prominent in the headlines. Yeah, I think it was about twelve to thirteen million, if I'm right. Um, and I can't remember if there were any add-ons. It might have been a little bit less in in that regard then. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know how much of a profit they would make on him right now. But I I tell you what, if they gave it a year or so, I think they can make you know masses of him. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really like him as a player. Mm. I can't wait to see him play for Newcastle next season. Can you, Sam? Yeah, no, I, we've it now. We've done it. Yeah, no, no, I'm on a ridiculous hot streak in predicting transfers. It's it, it's scary, but yeah, you heard it here first. Carlos Alcaraz, not the tennis player. No, it, just a brief summary, Mark. Last year, when Newcastle were linked with Alexander Isak, Sam wanted him for a long, long time. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you see, I had to break the news to Sam that Alexander Rieslack had just agreed a deal to come to Newcastle. <laughs> Honestly. I told you to F off. You did. You did. <laughs> you did. You just couldn't believe me when I told you. But anyway, well, um, Sandro Tonali's next. Will Carlos Alvarez be third time lucky in terms of Sam Mulner getting transfers that weren't even mentioned that could be right. Let, let's just see what happens, of, of course, on your side of things, Mark. We hope that's not the case from a Southampton point of view, <laughs> of course. But just to wrap things up, um, we've gone through a couple of names. I'm not going to mention Alcaraz because I don't, obviously, the nothing's really been mentioned, but I just want a, a probability out of 10. What is it, What are the chances for Newcastle for each of the players? So we'll start with Tino Levermento out of 10. What, what do you think in terms of him being a Newcastle player next season? Um, today, what are we on Sunday evening? I'll, I'll give it a four out of ten. Oh, I was Kyle expecting Walker. higher. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> Kyle Walker Peters. Um, see, maybe I did go too low with Tino because I want to give I, bump Tino to a five, put Carl as a four. James Ward Prowse. No, that mean. Uh, yeah, uh, one out of ten. If and yeah, ten. yeah. <laughs> One out I guess be an inch. It can't say zero, doesn't it? And finally, Romeo Lavia. I should say zero out of ten. Uh, we'll, we'll say one out of ten for, for him as well. Same as Prousey. Not happening. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, Livermento is the most likely, but unlikely at this moment. Five out of ten. Well, this has been a catastrophic waste of time. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. <laughs>
dip into a, if, if, if Dean Ashworth wants to dip into his pockets a bit more, I'm sure I'm sure Southampton fans will, will send off Tino to you. Oh well, yeah, good player, good player. Let's see what Mr. Ashworth can do. He's he's done okay since he's come through the door. He's managed to sell Chris Wood for fifteen million quid, so there's been some good dealings <laughs> from uh, from Dan Ashworth over the last uh, 18 months altogether, shall we say. But Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Green and Mullins show. Really, really enjoyed it. It's great to get a, fan, a, a, you know, a real good view and a real good insight into a few players that Newcastle have been linked with. And if any of them do come to Newcastle, I'm sure a lot of people will look back at this uh, interview and go, this is what we should expect, if any of them happen at all. But let's just see what happens. But uh, best of luck next next year. Obviously, I know you've got the, uh, the gig with Brighton as well couple of European trips, I'm sure you'll be able to, I'm sure you'll be allowed one or two beers and some Latvian uh, group stage game against yeah. Brighton in particular. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Uh, one word answer, Mark, final one from me, sorry. One word answer, where's Caicedo going to be playing next season? Uh, God. Uh, Chelsea. With Lavia. Wow. Caicedo's so overrated. But anyway, Johnny, wrap up. <laughs> I don't agree with that, by the way. I do not agree with that. But I'll let I'll let the listeners decide on what they think of Moises Caicedo. And, and I'm sure Mark has his own personal views on that. And if you do want to uh, read Mark's uh, views on that, he, of course, he, he is the correspondent for Hampshire Live and Southampton Brighton from next season if you want to read on that please by all means give that a, a, a good look into because there's some fantastic stuff on there but Mark it's been an absolute pleasure having you on as I've mentioned uh, hopefully it's not too busy in terms of uh, Southampton or Brighton hopefully you get a bit of time to relax before the season starts but we wish you all the best for the following season thanks guys it's been an absolute pleasure Sam the transfer window just keeps on getting crazy and crazy doesn't it it certainly does. And of course, stay tuned to Newcastle Fans TV and for the audio podcast. The links are all in the description. If you're listening on Apple, please hit that five star review. Fantastic. So, for myself, Jonathan Greer, and my co host, Sam Muller, and today's guest, Mark Wyatt, we'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV.